given to us that we might read and hear. We thank you and we ask that you would speak to us, O Lord. And help us to be obedient, to be faithful, and to follow you wherever you lead. For you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ builds his church. Do you believe that? Do do you really believe that Christ builds his church and is actively building his church? Or do you feel like we're just treading water until he comes or we go home? I think sometimes... You know, we're going to get to it later on in Ephesians, but Jesus considers the church his bride. That's a pretty awesome thought. Because he is a very faithful, loving, and caring groom. He's also a very faithful and loving and caring head of the body of which we're a part if we're Christians. These are two important images of the church. The bride of Christ and the body of Christ. We already heard through the first number of chapters in Ephesians all that the Lord Jesus, the bridegroom, has accomplished for us by his grace grace, and all that we have in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, according to Paul. He loved us before the foundation of the world. He took on flesh for us. He lived under the burden and the frailty of our fallen flesh, yet perfectly, so that he might give to us his righteousness. All of that, that's for us his bride. And then he he went to the cross and he died to pay for our sins. And then he rose victorious, defeating sin and death. But there's more to the story, and Paul picks up on this in Ephesians. He says that he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so you got to picture it, beloved. Jesus out bridegroom reigns in heaven. Jesus, the head of the body, reigns in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Do you think he's forgotten about us? His bride? Now that he's up there with the Father? I've done my job. I don't need to do any more for them. Not even close. Now he is nourishing and cherishing still his bride, his body. In fact, Paul wants us to understand that Christ is very much active in his body even today. He works in and through his body, the church. Last week, Paul explained that in response to that glorious gospel that we've been talking about, the the gospel that brought peace, we must be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There has to be, Paul said, a unity-mindedness in the church. We have to think about each other. We have to be humble and patient and put up with each other. More than that, Paul said that we have to pursue unity with the body here. Oneness, wholeness, together. That means action, activity. It means we get to know each other. It means that we're pursuing one another. Paul grounds our unity in the oneness of 
God. The triune God, the oneness of our faith. There is one gospel, one hope, one future. This morning, Paul's going to push us even further on this theme of unity by explaining to us how precisely Christ builds his church, and you have a big part in that, a huge part. Here's our simple outline. You can find it in the back of your bulletins and fill in where necessary. Christ builds his church, gives grace to each one, he gives gifted leaders, and he gets us to a common goal. He gives grace to each one, he gives gifted leaders, and he gets us to a common goal. Would you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4? We're going to look at verses 7 through 16. Ephesians 4. 177 in the sanctuary bibles you can reach out and there's a chair there there should be a bible 977 ephesians 4 and i'm going to start reading at verse 7 let's hear paul's words here to us which is god's word to us but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of christ's gift therefore it says when he he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men in saying he ascended what does it mean but he had also descended into the lower regions the earth he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children to and fro by the waves and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Amen? May God bless the reading of His Word. What a passage. Let's start with our first point. Christ gives grace to each one. Look at verse 7 there. He gives grace to each one turns from the, con the idea of unity of the body to speaking directly to each Christian. He wants to help us to see that unity includes each of us as individuals working. You matter. You matter to this church. You matter to the people around you in this church. You matter to the body of Christ, O Christian. Look at the language that he uses. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you haven't noticed this so far, 
I must be doing something wrong. But Paul talks a lot about grace in Ephesians. A lot. In fact, everything that we have in the Christian life is grace for Paul. And he's right. There is nothing that we have that is good that we deserve. There is nothing good that we have that hasn't been given to us. Including, notice what Paul says, these gifts that Christ gives. Paul's using the word grace here in a very specific way. He's referring to spiritual gifts. They're of grace. They're not earned. They're not merited. And notice this. They're designed by Christ for us. That is, for the body as a whole. You see, these are gifts given to individuals, but they're given with the purpose of unity and growth in mind. This is exactly what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says to them there, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the what? The common good. He gives a variety of gifts, but one common good in mind. Imagine, beloved, if the entire military was infantry or the whole hospital was full of heart doctors or a basketball team had only centers. Maybe the Lakers would do better if they had only centers. I don't know. That would be a lot weaker unity than the unity that's made up of diversity. One author put it this way, he says, look, the purpose of this varied distribution is not to differentiate individuals, but for each to contribute to the overall unity and growth of the body. In other words, beloved, he is building his church. And the gifts he's given to you are for the building up of this church. For those who have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, each of the children is given a gift. One gets a, a sword and a shield, another a bow, arrow, and horn, another a dagger and special medicine. And if I remember correctly throughout the series, each one of those turn out important for a particular reason that benefits the whole, the whole cause, not just the individual. Even though they weren't sure how those gifts were going to work at first. So just consider, as Paul's discussing unity and our need to be eager to maintain that unity, in the same context, he mentions that we all have different gifts according to Christ's own plan and design. And so part of our eagerness must be to use those gifts for the very purpose that Christ has designed them for this body. Look at verse 8. Paul refers to Psalm 6, allowing the scriptures to make the point that he's trying to make here. In that psalm, God is the divine warrior. And he comes in and he fights for his people. And of course, he wins. And it gives this picture of a king who is victorious, who is entering into Jerusalem and ascending into the holy city on the mountain. And the psalm ends with this line. Awesome is God from His sanctuary. The God of Israel, He is the one who gives power and strength to His people. So Paul catches on to this theme that God ascends and then He gives. This is Paul's emphasis. He sees it in Psalm 68 
and he remembers what Christ has done, and he says, that's what that's talking about. Now, the verse that Paul quotes is interesting because the original says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he received gifts from men. But Paul changes that to gives gifts. It seems that Paul makes the adjustment to make the point that the whole psalm is making, and not just that one verse. In that verse, the, the ascending king was given bounty from the captives, but it's as though the king turns around and he gives of this treasure to his people by the end of the psalm. You see, Paul is seeing Christ, the true king, ascending the throne in heaven, sitting now beside the Father, and as a victorious king, he loves his people. He's giving good gifts to his people, gifts that will strengthen them and give them the power needed to be his people, but we have to use those gifts for the purpose he gave them. Verses 9 and 10 have Paul telling the story of the incarnation and the ascension. The one who descended and came to the earth is the very same Jesus who is now risen. And he's ascended into heaven so he can carry on the plan of filling all things in all. Remember, he's going to be the head of all things and he's going to reign over all things. But you know what? He starts with the church. Is he reigning over us? Are we doing what the commander, the king, has called us to? He's given to us these gifts. Are we using them for the purpose that he intended them? He gives grace to each one for the sake of the whole. Take a look at our second point, verses 11 and 12. He gives gifted leaders. Remember what we said, Christ builds his church You have to understand he's giving the resources to do what he calls us to do. He doesn't just leave us to fend for ourselves. He is actively building and shaping churches today through his spirit and through those gracious gifts. But how? Well, verse 11 starts the explanation. Part of what Jesus gives to us are the following five offices. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, Shepherds, or that could be translated pastors, and teachers. Now what do those things have in common? Why is Paul highlighting those and bringing them out right here up front? Well, these are all word-centered offices. Each of these designations refers to a person whose calling is fundamentally about proclaiming the word of God and teaching the people of God. Beloved, I want that to sink in. The first thing that Paul wants us to understand about how Christ cares for his church now that he has ascended the throne in heaven is he makes sure that we hear the word, that we have the word taught to us because the word gives to us life. It is the ministry of the word that both opens hearts to receive the gospel and be justified. And it's the ministry of the word that sanctifies us. It's how he nurtures us. It's how he cherishes us. Remember early on in the book of Acts, apostles didn't want to give up teaching and prayer. That was their calling. He said they're not going to give up teaching and prayer to wait on table. Their calling was word-focused. Not that there was anything wrong with waiting on tables, but they knew that their calling was to teach the word to build the church. Today, we don't have apostles and prophets, 
But we do have pastors and teachers. These are word-focused, word-centered offices meant for the building of Christ's church. There's a lot that can be said about each of these offices, whether they're four or five designations. But for our purposes, the key is this. These are ministers of the word, and they have a purpose. Let's look at verse 12. They equip the saints. Saints. The same people that Paul started the letter off writing to. All of the Ephesian Christians. You and me. Anyone who is in Christ. We are saints. So look at what Paul is saying. These offices are given by the Lord for the very purpose of equipping the rest of the body. Equipping means to make qualified, to train. Some translations like to use the word prepare. So beloved, Equipping and preparing implies a purpose, a direction. You train with intention in mind. You may not always know what to expect, and sometimes you even train for the unexpected. But for the most part, you train and prepare for a specific task. The military trains for war, athletes to win, engineers to build. What are Christians training for? Beloved, please don't miss this. Jesus loves his church. And he even said that he has prepared good works for us to walk in. That's what he has recreated us for as his redeemed people. To no longer walk like the word world walks, but worthy instead of the calling. So how can we do that? Well, it starts with the word of God taught by those called to the ministry of the word so that we all may be prepared and equipped Look at verse 12, for the work of ministry. In fact, the word Paul uses there is the very same word that we get our word deacon from, ministry or service. It is the word that was used back in 6 when the apostles said that they have to focus on the word and prayer, that the people should choose godly, wise, spirit-filled men to minister to their physical needs. Beloved, let me put this plainly. You as a Christian in the local church are called to serve. And coming each week to hear the Word, Sundays and Wednesdays and any other day that we offer the Word, to be equipped, you're being equipped for ministry. You're being equipped for serving. In fact, Paul goes on to say, for the building up of the body of Christ. It's not just the pastors and the elders and the deacons that are building up the body and doing ministry. It is all the saints. As you are being equipped, you're called to serve. Now I want you to look at your text there. I want you to look at your Bibles because, beloved, this passage should change the way we think about church life. We are not simply coming every Sunday to pay our dues. We don't gather just to grow in knowledge and get puffed up. This isn't some sort of penance that you're paying and offering. We come to worship and serve the Lord, and in order to do so, what He has called us to is to serve one another and build up His body. Not the pastor's job, it's all of our job. 
So the word ministers to our hearts to first remind us of our peace in Christ alone. And in reminding us of the gospel's goodness, it is also training us to renounce ungodliness and to love God and men and love them well. So beloved, my job, along with the elders of this church, is to invest in equipping you, preparing you, resourcing you through the gospel and the word so that you might carry out ministry inside and outside of this church. Can I hear an amen? That was not loud enough. (laughs) Beloved, we have a calling, each one of us. We are on mission, all of us. And God has given to us leaders for the specific purpose of equipping us so that we can get to work what work look at verses 13 and on because part of what the lord does is he gets us to a common goal our third point start with the goal what does the lord have planned for us what's the equipping leading to verse 13 uses an interesting word it says until The Lord has given the minister the word to equip until we arrive where he wants us to be. Which means that Paul believes this is going to be the end result. He doesn't think that this is out of reach. Remember Paul said that the Lord is the one who empowers and does more than we ask or imagine. Look what Paul is imagining here. What's the goal? Three things that he lays out for us. They're really one, but he puts it in three phrases one that we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god two that we attain to mature manhood and three that we attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ wow paul puts these three goals out there parallel to each other but really the three perspectives on the same goal he wants us to be all that god has designed us to be So what's the first thing mean? Well, he wants us to attain together, theologically, a deep understanding of Christ. Do you see that? Of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. There is nothing more foundational to our Christian living than a Christian understanding. He just spent the entire first half of this letter explaining the gospel to us. Sometimes we think that doctrine doesn't matter That we just need the basics and that's good enough. So why should we dig deeper? Beloved, elsewhere the scripture compares that to staying on milk instead of moving on to meat. It's not a picture of health if you were to see a 20-year-old still drinking milk out of a bottle and having nothing else. Are we devoted to the apostles' teaching? If so... What does that look like in our lives? See, that's why Christ has given these offices to the church to read, to teach, excuse me, the word, to give us spiritual food, to eat, to delight in, to gain strength from, to gain protection through. The more we know Christ, both intellectually and experientially, the more mature we become in our faith. We must pursue this. That leads to the next aspect of our goal. Secondly, he says he wants us to attain to mature manhood. Remember, I I just said we don't want to stay on milk. 
That's because if we do, we'll be malnourished spiritually. Verse 14 tells us that Paul doesn't want us to be children in the faith. He wants us to be mature, stable. The goal for Paul is a church filled with people with steady faith, deeply formed character, a robust understanding of God's word and theology. In fact, the third aspect is closely tied to this. He wants us to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul just lines up a bunch of words here to make a point. He's saying we need to be Christ-like. Doesn't he say elsewhere that he wants Christ formed in us? In another place, he says that we are to be conformed to the image of the Son. In fact, one author wrote this. He said, Paul wants all believers not only to grow, but to attain to the size of Christ. That is to reflect his virtues and likeness in their lives. That's why Paul uses the word here, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a lofty goal. Who could attain it? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Beloved, don't lose the train of thought. Christ gave the ministers of the word so that these things come to pass in us, so that we grow in maturity and health as thriving Christians, knowing the word and living out the word, knowing the truth to not be swayed by the world, but then engaging the world in every way we possibly can. Why? Paul gives a negative and a positive reason. Here's the negative. So we won't be like children, so easily swayed by false teaching and worldly influences. Why do we need to be so equipped in the Word? Paul knows that the world, uh, there's a, a lot of false teaching in the world, isn't there? A lot of false views that can impact those who aren't grounded in their faith and aren't mature. In fact, he talks about the cunning and the craftiness of the world. Language that reminds us of the serpent and, and how deceptive he is and how he brought about the fall through his deception. This could mean theological errors, and there are many. It could also just mean worldliness seeping into our thinking. Beloved, one of the biggest issues throughout the history of the church has been apathy in the church. In some ways, even worse than false teaching. Because we have passion for everything else but the kingdom of God. And so we come in as spectators and we pay our dues on Sunday mornings and then we leave and don't think twice about this body that Christ died for. Those who are mature resist that temptation. And think about it this way. When I was younger and tried to play basketball. Every time someone did a pump fake, I bit, I jumped, and they'd go right by me and score. The more mature I got, the more I could anticipate certain moves. Beloved, as God's people, we are not to be faked out by the enemy. We should be alert and aware and know that stability comes from being well-equipped in the Word and surrounded by the body of Christ, working and worshiping together. That is why the Bible speaks nothing at all of a Lone Ranger Christian. It's just not a thing. 
doesn't exist. We need the body. There's more the positive in verses 15 and 16. Instead of being tossed around by waves of deceit, we should speak the truth in love. Beloved, you see what Paul's doing there? He's not just saying be honest people. He's pushing back. He's pushing us to confess the truth to one another in response to the deceit and the cunning that's going on around us. Speaking the truth against the lies of the deceiver. Because by speaking truth to each other, here's what happens. The church grows. It grows sure but far more importantly it grows into christ the head when we remind each other of the gospel when we spur each other on to love and good works when we encourage and admonish one another in christ to be christ-like we all grow together in christ-likeness that means that we're actively speaking truth to each other and that means that we're actively speaking to each other And that means that we're actively looking around to see who we can speak to. We're not talking about don't lie to each other. That's important, but this is specific. We speak the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's kingdom to each other in love, not in judgment or accusingly, but in love with the purpose of building up. Is that us? It should be. It can be, beloved. Don't miss this. Christ is the head, and He is the one supplying all that we need. Verse 16, we each receive nourishment from Christ our head, and in turn, He uses us to nourish each other. Look at the language. Every joint, each part, working properly. For the whole to function properly, each part must function properly. We must be invested in each other's spiritual health as much as our own. Why? Because we're one body. We depend on each other. Our growth, our health depends on each other. Calvin makes an interesting point about the body needing to grow proportionally. That's a healthy body. He says, what would it profit a leg or an arm if it grew to an enormous size? That'd be strange if the rest of the body remains small. What benefit, he says. I remember seeing the guys who like to work out, but they only like to do upper body. I don't know if you know those guys. Big and buff chest, tiny little legs, you know. If we're only concerned with our own growth, we're we're not honoring the calling. We're not building up this misshapen local body here. Let's put it all together. There's a lot to cover. Tried to get through it, but here's a lot. Let's put it together now. God has given each one of us gifts. If you're a Christian, He has given to you spiritual gifts, but they are not yours to keep. They are yours to use. Church. So He's he's given to us pastors and teachers to teach the Word, which is how we become equipped and trained in using our gifts. And using our lives and living well for the glory of God. And as we are grounded and equipped in God's Word, we are stable and strong to face the temptations and deceit of the world. And we're truth to each other which further grows the body. 
So then how do we respond to this? First, we thank God that he builds his church. And he's doing it. And he's doing it here. And we thank him. And we thank him that he's gifted the whole body with so many amazing gifts. Second, we have to seek ways to use our gifts regularly for the body, knowing how important we are to each other. None of us can say that we're not important, and none of us can point to someone else and say they're not important. It includes, by the way, a call to speak the truth, God's truth to each other, to encourage, to admonish, just to be spiritually involved in the lives of the rest of the body here. You know, beloved, let me point this one thing out. A lot of times people expect a visit from the pastors in the church. You could send a visitation team, you could send another elder, and it won't be good enough. It's got to be the lead pastor. I'm not coming. No, I'm not. That's not. No. I would love to come to all of your homes, okay? But the way the Bible lays it out, every member of this body can do that kind of visit, can't we? Every member should be looking for these kinds of visits and encouraging and building up each other. Our third point, since it is the word that the Lord uses to equip us, the elders must provide the training, but the body must be willing to receive it. Beloved, think of Christ, our great head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. What a glorious picture of Christ building His church in and through us. He is worthy. Amen? Let us follow Him together. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good, it is deep, it is faithful, and it is life. Thank you for equipping us and training us up through your word. Thank you for loving your body, that not only did you live and die and rise again for us, but you ascended and you sent gifts that we might be all that you have called us to be, a Christ-like army whose weapon is love and a gospel that is so good. Send us forth, Lord, in Jesus. Amen.